And Blog Talk Radio. Oh. <laughs> but you forgot. This is all about wine. The talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Thank you, thank you. Thank you. That's it. We we got we got one of the marks it looks like called in here. Um we'll bring him on in a second here. Uh tonight, just to let everybody know, we are going to be talking to co directors Mark Johnson and Mark Ryan from a documentary called Wine and War. It is about well the untold story of wine in the Middle East is what continues on. It's a documentary about making wine in Lebanon. I had an opportunity to do a pre-screening of it, and it's fantastic. But we're going to talk to the directors and find out what we have to say. And I think maybe the author might have an opportunity to join us. So that would be great, the author of the book that it's based on. Uh, we have one yeah. of them on right now. I'm not sure which one. We'll bring him on. We'll start talking with them and see as the others join us. Okay, yes, we yes, got. Hi. hi, this is Mark. Who? Mark Ryan. I'm one of the. Mark Ryan. Okay. <laughs> now we need we need yeah. to separate this somehow. I mean, we need to call one of you Mark R and one Mark J or one of you Bubba and, or something. But we need to we need to be sure yeah. we know <laughs> whenever we address you. Yeah. We'll, we'll... Sure, it's the two Marks and Michael. So the three M's are the the force behind the film here. Yeah, all right. It looks like we have another one on us, too. Let me bring him in also. And this is Mark also. Howdy. Mark Johnson here. Okay. We've we got Mark Ryan on also. So we've got uh, both the Marks on here right now. And uh, hopefully Michael will be joining us shortly here. I just tell the people before I uh, introduce uh, Mark here, the, the first Mark was uh, about the – documentary you guys made wine and war the intro story of wine in the middle east uh this is well i had an opportunity to do a, a pre-screening of it and it's fantastic uh, there's lots of comments i want to make about it but i want to go too deep into it yet i want to, you guys to tell us your stories of this uh documentary and what how it came about and and the problems and how do you feel about it at the end? Are you happy with the results? And just I'll let you talk for a while. Yeah, I mean, Mark, do you I want to start? Am, yeah. yeah, sure. I'm, I'm super, super pumped on the film. Um, we're only just starting to get reviews, but the reviews coming in 
are are encouraging. So um, thank you for watching film, and, and also I'm happy to hear you also liked it. Oh um, yeah. We're just yeah. at the very beginning uh, phases of of releasing the film tonight. Um, uh, actually, a little bit earlier. Uh, actually, right now the film is available. We released it uh, a little bit ahead of midnight. So. Um, Wine and War is available, and um, we're hoping to raise money for um, a charity called CAPO, who are providing medical care to children without insurance and helping rebuild the hospital, the St. George Hospital, which was devastated by the Beirut explosion on August 4th. So that's been our main driving force on getting the film uh, wrapped up and out there, and, and, and it's live right now. Fantastic. Uh, the I, I, like I said, I had a chance to see to see the movie, and the first half hour of it. For those of you who aren't familiar with what this is, let me give you a real quick synopsis. Wine and War is the story of wine being made in Lebanon, basically, and the trials and tribulations of the winemakers in Lebanon through the conflicts and the wars and everything going on there. And also for those of you who don't know, and if I may point out a fault to you both, Ryan and Ryan, the, where, where it is, where Lebanon is, I think some people really might not know. And to, you know, really say, this is it. And a little map saying, this is where it is. This is where we're talking about. This is where the vineyards were, I think would have been helpful, but, being aside, it was a great documentary, but Lebanon is located just north of Israel and in the region that is always having conflicts since, I don't know, what, 3000 BC, they started having wars there, but uh, it's been, it's been going on forever. And this is about the wineries and the people who run the wineries there during these conflicts and the problems they had and interviews with people there and all that. So basically a synopsis of the show, the first half hour is really fantastic with history. If you really are into wine and want to know some ancient history and how it started and all that, the first half hour is well worth the price itself. I think it is really very interesting. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm I'm not on yeah. here to talk. I'm gonna let you guys talk. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we <clears throat> we we attempted to make a film that surveyed, uh, you know, like seven thousand years of of wine history, and and just how kind of with with one common theme in mind, which was you know, at what point did wine or winemaking intersect with war? And there were many points, you know, in this sort of Venn diagram of overlapping incidents. I mean, from, and, you know, we wanted to make the ancient history as relevant and as interesting as the modern history, which was, you know, something that, You know, I don't know. We we're all just history and archaeology buffs, along with everything. So, why not try to bring to life the way wine was consumed? Uh, you know, in the Roman when the Romans were there in around 50 BC. You know, it, so um, 
you know, I don't know. We just try to touch on many different because there were wars and, and, you know, Romans were conquering the Middle East and blah, blah, blah. It just, you know, it keeps on going, you know, time, I can say forever. time and time again. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it was interesting at the beginning there because you painted the picture of uh, the, the presence of wine has always been there. And even, well, like you just said, in regards to what the conflicts were or anything, wine has always been present in that region of the world. And I think you captured that very well at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I mean, we interviewed, we had an interview with uh, Dr. Patrick McGovern, who directs the Biomolecular <clears throat> Archaeology Project at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, he's like the leading guy for anything biome- biomolecular for archaeology. He, in fact, even recreated old mead, I believe. Um, from medieval times by getting the DNA of the different elements that made the beer and wow. brought it back to life. I mean, it's almost like, uh, what was that movie with the dinosaurs? Uh, the uh, Jurassic Park. So he's like <laughs> the Jurassic Park of Totally, he was. <laughs> yeah. There's your, next, <laughs> there's your next. There's your next documentary. He, he, he literally scrapes the, you know, he scrapes the bottom of the amphora jars where the amp, where the wine was being stored, and figures out what was in there, you know, what wine, herbs, and spices, or or whatnot, you know, amazing guy, Indiana Jones you, of wine. You you brought some of that up during the show too, which was or during the commentary, which was very interesting. Um, You just brought him up. That was one of the questions. As I was watching, that's one of the questions. It was like, wow, where did you find all these different people that you interviewed and the the experts that in the different fields and all that? And you had lots of people that you ended up interviewing that added so much to the uh, final product. What did you do? I mean, put out an ad or a a Facebook (laughs) page or what? (laughs) What was your uh, method? Well, we definitely we had a huge help start with, uh, you know, with obviously with Michael Karam, who, uh, who will be joining us any minute, I'm sure. So he will back all this up. But, uh, you know, his book, The Wines of Lebanon, uh, which is due to be republished in a second edition next year, um, is just amazing. It just gives you an introduction to all of the kind of interesting um, people that – um, are involved in the Lebanese wine trade, and um, but then there was also so many others. I mean, I mean, Mark, the other Mark, could talk. I mean, we we many people along the way as well. Yeah, I mean, we had so I mean, many um, discoveries along the way. Um, one of my favorite um, was when we were filming. Um, and mind you, I mean, we're, we're very we're, crappy filmmakers. Mark and I put the film out of pocket together, uh, um, working jobs and then quitting jobs to go out and film and then getting hired again. As <laughs> um, um, but uh, so along the way, we, we, had, uh, we had decided we're going to move to Lebanon for nine months in uh, oh. 2017. Um, and that was the big push to get the film done. And what we realized in all those years that we would go for like three weeks or so, it was never enough time to build up enough relationships because 
the Lebanese are very cautious. They're very uh, suspect of, of who these, you know, Californians are. Um, one guy, two, two different people, one, they're both in the film, uh, Sandro Saadi and George Sara. They were mm-hmm. absolutely convinced we were spies for two years. <laughs> <laughs> two years. Uh, it wasn't really till the third year that they're like, are you sure you're not a spy? <laughs> so, so that's just a little example of how long it takes. So we knew um, in 2017 the way to get this thing done was just to move there. So um, we, I got rid of my apartment in New York, put everything in storage. Um, Mark uh, also did the same, wrapped everything up. Um, I believe actually Mark uh, got a DUI <laughs> right on the front <laughs> um, So there, there was a little bit of a, do I have to go back and go to court uh, thing uh, oh, happening yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. yeah they so, let that uh, pass. <laughs> but but you know, I work in the wine industry, and uh, unfortunately, in the wine industry, a DUI can often be a uh, it's a not it's a rite of passage. Unfortunately, that's what that's what wine people called it. Um, in Napa Valley, in Napa Valley, they will only ticket the people that work in the wine shops and wineries because yeah, tourists, they don't you know you don't want to have a bad uh reputation of you know you're going to get a dui if you go to napa yes so. it only hit the workers and locals yeah that, yeah yeah that happened well in paso robles to me but yeah, oh, did it? yeah. so <laughs> paso robles, yeah yeah that's i can understand it's probably on you know but but uh, <laughs> the, i guess the to, to connect the segue here is that Mark did all the driving in Lebanon, which in itself was an absolutely, uh, I mean, he deserves a credit as a, you know, Lebanese driver extraordinaire or something. Because, I mean, Mark, what's Lebanese driving like? Yeah, I feel like I could be a Hollywood stunt driver, uh, the way things go there. Yeah, yeah. Just seeing the the documentary, it looks like it. I mean, the the shots of driving and stuff like that would would scare even the most steel-hearted person, it would seem. Well, I'll paint a little picture. So what happens in Lebanon at night is every single car drives with the high beams on. And <laughs> it's not because one person forgot to do it and left it on and the other person forgot to do it and left it on. Culturally, they're just like, well, if you're going to beam me, I'm going to beam you. And so we're just going to all beam each other. So there's, <laughs> there is no incentive <laughs> on on not having your beams up. So everyone is blinding you. There are no streetlights at all. So when you're in the mountains, it's pitch black. There are rocks falling all over the place. We hit a rock at two different occasions. One just completely destroyed the oil pan. Another one took out a tire. Um, Uh We have – you're driving, and just imagine a motorcycle – coming to you right right to you and you're like that can't be a car in my lane and you're like oh wait a second there are no lanes <laughs> no lanes there's no <laughs> wherever you want to drive <laughs> yeah it's it's your choice on what lane on which side you want to go in there's a general sense but it's optional 
And then um, oh, what else? No. Yes, no green light, no red light, no yellow light. It's just oh. get in front of the next person. So gridlock in the city is, is a big pain. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, a lot of horns. They love the horns. Yeah, yeah a lot. A lot, um, <laughs> and a lot of yelling so and screaming. Where was and, I going? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, yeah, question while you pause here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You say you work for wineries in California? Uh, yeah, I mean, I do, uh, you know, marketing a lot oftentimes. I do short films and documentaries for oh, wineries. Okay. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've won uh, two James Beard Awards for oh. my wine films. Wow, very good. Congratulations. Um, but, yeah, no, thank you. Um, but, um, you know, in my, like, career, which is, I guess, maybe a 10-year or so in the wine business is just – I I heard about the legend of Hoshar, this man and uh, winemaker in Lebanon. Um, but you know, it's 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 kind of like the man, the myth, the legend. Um, you know, uh, this man who's kind of a guru, but more of a guru than than a winemaker. And um, you know, it was something like you. I had to see it. I had to visit it. And so we ended up. Uh, you know, thank God we made a film about him to capture it for posterity. You know, it so, was. I guess he was fascinating. Long, yes. No. Long story short, is there's a lot of there's a lot of winemakers, and um, you know, Chances Robinson um, has a brief part in our film, and you know, she said that most winemakers want to talk about oak oak regime and fermentation temperatures and this and that, and and Serge Hoshar just he wanted wine to be social glue and, uh, you know, he wanted to uh, turn the mic on the interviewer. He wanted to know what you felt like drinking this wine, not what my wine should taste like, but what you felt like drinking this wine. I mean, so interesting characters. you know. Interesting. And one of the things that uh, she also pointed out too, that sat down with him one evening and opened up a bottle of wine at six o'clock in the evening, and he said, "We're going to be drinking this for hours." And the same bottle, a sip here and there, and I don't want you to describe it to me till the very end. And you know, so many people immediately take a glass of wine, sip it, and say, "Okay, this has hints of oak and this and that and this." You know, and he approached it in the fact that, you know, give it time to be its own character before you start describing. You don't walk up to someone, shake their hand and say, oh, you're a very forgiving person who loves uh, playing in, you know, the stream and stuff. You get to know them. And he said the same thing should apply to wine. And I thought that was a very interesting approach myself. I just that was uh, uh, something I never heard before. Absolutely. I mean, he, um, I mean, he, uh, you know, the, the taste, what, what, you know, what pairs food and, and with what wine and all of that. And, you know, he, I think he, if you look into Serge Hoshar, he really calls into question a lot of what we think of as what, um, you know, why, why do we eat this with that? Or why do we do this with that? You know, and sometimes it's, because it tastes good, but other times it's because it, it maybe is a cultural thing, you know, right. and 
like like the there's a master of wine named Tim Hanai. I don't know if you're familiar, but he he's uh, um, speaks about pairings of food and wine with like a kind of a you know it's arbitrary in his opinion. And so you know I I don't know maybe I'm spinning off into a philosophical web or whatever. Hey, it's, it's just fun. Serge Kochar <laughs> would do that five minutes with him and he will do that to you, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, just watching the documentary, I mean, you, you just, you just some of the comments that he made and things like that, you're going, oh, wow, that that's really uh, unique uh, in the approach to that. Uh, was he, is he Le- Lebanese? Was he Lebanese? Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, Serge is uh, Lebanese. Um, yeah, but like many Lebanese, they're always moving around. So he was in yeah. – I mean, he, he he was sort of on tour like a rock star for at least <laughs> 20, 30 years, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've known people uh, in the wine industry that's that way that are uh, just uh, philosophical winemakers more so than winemaker winemakers. And it's so much fun to sit and talk with them and listen to them because – the philosophy of wine and drinking wine, all that tends to be different than the well, mainstream, if you will. And it's always fun and interesting to see what they have to say. Absolutely. You, you know, what's weird is that, um, you know, Serge Hoshara and Chateau Moussar are, are an anomaly in all of the wine world, you know, not just in Lebanon. So mm-hmm. they had uh, a couple strikes against them to get the, the wine out there because, you know, the Chateau Moussard's wines are not representative of the rest of Lebanese wines. So that's where it gets kind of interesting and confusing is that, you know, he makes a wine that breaks a lot of the technical rules of winemaking uh, in terms of volatile acidity and Britannomyces and, you know, um, but 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 so so his is not a wine typical of Lebanon, of the terroir, so to speak. Or you, you it's so I don't know. It, it gets very interesting, and you know I don't know where I'm mm-hmm. going with this here. Well, <laughs> it just I, I understand what you're saying though. It's uh, uh, you have regional wines. You have wines that when you mention an area, you immediately associate a wine with it. Napa becomes Cabernet Sauvignon, Chile is um, Merlot and Carmenere, Argentina is Pinot Noir, uh, New Zealand, you think Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, everything has its wine that identifies with the area. Lebanon doesn't have that yet, so they're still trying to show how versatile they are. And I think Serge is one of those who does that shows the versatility of Lebanon and the, the wines that they make. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sir, I mean, when he, um, oh, okay. uh, when, when he was telling us his story, I mean, we have so many interviews with Serge. So like his whole backstory is something that we really were unable to investigate within the, the time constraints of the film that we had to make. But he would talk about how his father, um, asked him to take over the winery. And he said, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm going to be a monk. Yeah, yeah. there was a little segment on that. Yes, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, and so he just told his dad, I'm out. And then 
And then his dad pressured him. He said, look, and the way they would do things, at least back in the day, is the eldest in the family um, rules the rules the kingdom, basically. So he uh, was convinced by his dad, and he went uh, to learn how to make wine. Um, Mark, what was the winery uh, he went to? Do you remember? Uh, oh, geez. Um, yeah, it's in Bordeaux. Um, uh, Leoville Barton. Barton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Leoville Barton. And so he, he came back from, from this uh, viticulture school and said, basically, I'm going to do everything exactly the opposite of what I learned. And that's what he did. He, he made wine as a bush wine where he doesn't use Torellis at all. It just grows in a bush um, because the bush will protect the grapes from the heat. So uh-huh. you walk around his vineyards. Yeah, it's all this, these bushes, very untraditional looking wine, um, <laughs> and, which I always found very interesting. And then uh, his winemaker, Tarek, I mean, you've never met a more enthusiastic guy of a, of, of grapes and, and the vine. He one time like was trying to go through the vineyard looking for the best little bunch of grapes. And he, he found some and he's, he was like holding them like there were his children. And that's what he said. He's like, look, look at these babies. These are my children. And he's, he's very, very passionate about it. Basically was his teacher Tarek. Um, and, and basically Tarek is now the winemaker uh, along with the Hochars um, in Third's past. But Third was a maverick. He, he would do things his way. When he would do wine tasting in New York, he would not talk about wine. He wanted to know about you. And he uh-huh. would seek you out individually. It was really, really unique. Um, Mark, we have – I just noticed that uh, – well, I guess it's Michael that just called in. So let me bring him on and let him join us here. Great. Uh, hello, Michael. Hello, Michael. You there? Hi, guys. Uh, you're you're like in a tunnel. It's hard to understand you. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Hi. Okay. Okay. Very good. Yeah. I was um, having massive, massive problems getting on board here. Oh. Okay. I'm. I'm here now. You're, you're with us now. That's all that counts. Um, well, we've been talking to Mark and Mark about the, uh, the movie and about Sergei and, and, you know, different aspects of it. And they said, we can't wait till Michael gets on. And that way he can start telling you about the background of it and where the idea came from and all that. So they just threw you under the bus now. So you have to tell us all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, yeah, no, it's... Uh, it, it's been a pretty crazy journey that started in, 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 in fact, 2000 when wow. I was I was a jobbing journalist in in Beirut and I wrote a feature uh, about the Lebanese wine industry. Now, I mean, I'd always been an enthusiastic uh, consumer of wine, um, and 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 I thought, well, this is a this is a really great story to cover, better than covering covering the banking sector, the insurance sector, you know, things like that. So I, I went off to a feature that looked at the Lebanese wine, and I got the bug, and someone read the story, and uh, it was Tom Stevenson who was the uh, editor of the Sotheby's Wine Encyclopedia, and he was just putting together, putting together an annual 
called The Wine Report, and he said, I read your piece about Lebanese wine. Will you write this chapter on Lebanon for The Wine Report? He said, automatically, by the company you're keeping in this book, you will be, the, by default, the Lebanese wine expert. And I said, <laughs> okay, fair enough. And I was. I was in stellar company. Um, a lot of guys who know a gazillion times more about wine than I did. And at the time, I knew fuck all about about, about wine. But I was I was fast tracked to be the sorry sorry about that. I, I was fast tracked to, to be the authority on Lebanese wine. Wrote the book about wine for Lebanese. Came out three years later. Mark and Mark saw the book when they were mulling over whether to. To whether to make a documentary about Lebanese wine. I met them in 2013. We had a great time at my house in the mountains outside Beirut. Uh, they came for lunch. I think they didn't leave till about midnight. Um, and, and, and then I got a phone call about a month later saying, do you want to come in with, with us and help us make this film? And that was 2013. Seven years later, um, here we are, and I'm talking to you, and uh, I'm, I'm really pumped about this film because I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to show... Le- I mean, what, what excites me about this film is, among other things, the fact that it's going to show Lebanon in a really, really, really good light. A lot of people around the world think about Lebanon as a crazy country defined by mayhem, chaos, war, uh, guys with beards, guns, and that's that's only one side of Lebanon. That's only the Lebanon for the past 20 years, 30 years. Wine has been part of Lebanon for 7,000 years and is so ingrained in our, in our culture. Um, the relationship with the vine is very much ingrained in our culture. And this is a story that really shows the Lebanon since the dawn of time, a country about, of which is defined by generosity and spirit, hospitality, tradition, civilization, various cultures. Um, and that's, that's what I think is exciting because it's, it's really getting under the skin of a country that a lot of people don't know about. And if they do know about it, it's only been in the last 30 years and it's all negative stuff. And all wine is positive. Wine, is, wine makes you happy. Wine makes you socialize. Wine, wine just, you know, is about life. Wine, wine, wine makes you laugh. You know, that's that's one of the things. Yeah. Uh, the people in Lebanon, and I'm just curious, are they overall? Are they wine drinkers, or they? Is it consumed? I mean, like here in the states, we drink wine. Uh, there's, it's it's a pretty big thing, and a lot of people drink it. And even if it is cheap wine that you get in a, a you know, two-gallon jug, a lot of people still drink it, along with the expensive stuff. Lebanon, what is their wine culture there? Um, well, to be honest, wine was pretty much off the radar, despite our massive heritage. You know, we were the, the, the world's first wine merchants like that. Yes, um, the Lebanese tend to be kind of spirit drinkers, you know, um, or liquor, as you'd as you'd say in America, you know, we're, we're big whiskey drinkers. We've got our own national drink, which is called Harak, which is a kind of aniseed based eau de vie, kind of like Ouzo, um, and beer is big. Wine is, 
seen as very sophisticated, drunk by the bourgeoisie, by the by, by the by the middle class. You would you would have drunk wine to kind of show that you were somehow possessed a degree of finesse. Um, in the last thirty years, though, things have changed, and Lebanese wine, Lebanese now are getting behind their industry. They're drinking drinking a lot of wine, uh, drinking a lot of wine at the beach, white wine, rosé. Uh, red wine in winter it's very much associated with winter um, so wine has, wine has become big um, it took a bit of a holiday during the Civil War and now wine is back <laughs> Hello? Yeah, Ron are you there? I think we talked to you Hello? Hey Ron Oh, sorry. Oh, did you, I had a technical issue? Sorry. Can you say that again? Oh. Okay, I wasn't sure if you can hear me. Yeah, I, I uh, had a little microphone glitch for a second there. I'm I'm back here. So, um, so the the culture is spirits there more so than anything, as you were saying. I'm sorry, I, I lost part of that. Um, but wine obviously is drank there because of the long, long history of it. Um, so, absolutely. you know, it's, it's not. Uh... Wine is coming in on the inside track in the same way that in Europe, I mean, in England here, we were very much a beer culture for a very long time. And now wine has suddenly taken over. And then wine is beginning to take over in Lebanese society. Oh, all right. Very good. Very good. That's, you know, uh, that's good. Now, now, you, the. Your book, the book is actually Wine and War, the Untold Story of Wine in the Middle East, or is that came about because of the movie? The no, no, that's the film. The, my, my book, which inspired the film, which Mark and Mark read and were inspired by, is called Wines of Lebanon. Oh, okay, okay. So their their uh, their documentary was is the the name of the is Wine and War, the Untold Story of Wine in the Middle East. And yes. another question for any of you, how big is Lebanon? Give us a, a size comparison. I don't think most people know. Uh, <clears throat> Michael, I think it's the size of New Hampshire, roughly, isn't it? It's the size of Wales, but maybe American listeners won't know how big Wales is. So I was, I was hoping you guys would come in with a... With a uh, yeah, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, New Hampshire size. About New Hampshire, yeah. then okay. Yeah, so not a not a real Small. big country. Yeah. No, but you know, it takes a while on the road. You know, if you recall how Mark talked about the roads, so it does take uh, about eight hours, I would guess, to go from north to south. Yeah, but but you know, it's about the size of New Hampshire. Then you know, it's just you know. And then it's, it's again about 200 it's about miles in length and 50 miles across. How about that? Yeah, about the same width too as New Hampshire. It looks like uh, when you look at it on a map. So, right. And the uh, the people and uh, Michael, this is something I asked Mark and Mark about earlier, and they said that you've been, uh, the people that they interviewed. Uh, were these incorporated, most of these people incorporated in your book uh, before they uh, decided to make the movie, and so they already had leads on who to talk to, or was it actually them who went out and found these people? Well, I think I think the book provided the basis. 
the basis, the core characters were were in the book, but uh, but along the way, uh, Mark and Mark discovered uh, well, you know, discovered a whole host of kind of supporting cast of of characters, um, uh, archaeologists, and especially the uh, the Trappist monks. Uh, the Trappist oh yeah. Were, uh, that was, well, that was one of the time. stories um, that uh, we were talking about. I think we got lost in that uh, story about uh, when we were talking about all the crazy driving. Oh, but yeah. One of, the, <laughs> one of the amazing stories was we were um, uh, Chateau Moussard graciously allowed us to work at the winery, which was actually a dream because we were given wine uh, – they do tastings every day, two times a day. And uh, when the tastings were done, we were given the wine. Um, wow. That was left over. And we were drinking world-class vintages. Like, you wouldn't believe. It was amazing. And that was a great motivator to work late into the night, which is how we <laughs> how we. I think you mean edit. We, we were editing. Right, we edit. weren't, like, working, like, at the winery per se. We were – we were given the uh, office of Serge Hochard to edit in. I mean, gr- I, unbelievable to what a, what a motivator right there. You know, we're oh, sitting yeah. on his yeah. desk with the computer on his desk editing, you know, it was really cool. And then, so, um, but you're not always working and you're, you're exploring and we were in Gazir up in the mountains, which is a beautiful, beautiful uh, small town with what looks like, buildings built out of stone that that just melt into the into the landscape uh really gorgeous full of flowers and and vegetation and it's just absolutely gorgeous so we would walk around and look for like uh fun restaurants to go eat at and we ended up walking all the way up the hill because we had heard there's a really good um lebanese restaurant and it was right next to a monastery and uh we're like Oh, that was interesting. So let's go check that out. And so we walked over there and uh, met Father Joseph. Actually, no, we were introduced to Father Joseph by uh, a woman named Fadia. Fadia is the one who delivers the wine to us every night and uh, became our really, really good friend. And so she uh, introduced us to Father Joseph, uh, where they grow their own wine, uh, and they, they're 100% self-sustaining. They grow all their food. They have cows, goats on their uh, somewhat kind of a big monastery, but it, it's also a little bit weird. Like the cows and goats and everything is just like right there in just right next to you. Um, yeah. But we decided it smells to, and all. to move there. Smells and all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so anyway, we moved there for three weeks and really got oh, to know um, and, and, and just ate with the monks. Uh, we didn't, pray with the monks, but we went to their prayers and filmed the monks, um, yes. which was really, really fascinating. They're, uh, uh, I don't know, if, is it a tribe? But they're, they're a class of monks called the Trappists. And um, yeah. I, I don't know, Michael, do you know what, what defines a Trappist, Mike? Uh, it's, an uh, monk for... it's an order of monks. It's, it's like and an order of Trappist monks. And the they make them often. Yeah, trapeze yeah. monks. I've heard yeah. of your trapeze monks. It's a, <laughs> like uh, like Michael just says, an order of them. A uh, 
uh, a group, if you will. You know. Yeah, in Belgium, the trapeze make beer. You know, the trapeze beer is what is most well known when you say that word. You know, but right. um, the ones, the, you know, it is, but it is just an order like the Cistercian monks were in Burgundy. You know, and I mean, they're all every, and those were the ones who divided up the the various uh, vineyards in Burgundy. So, um, the, our trapeze, the ones in Lebanon, uh, made local products, including wine, but not only wine. Um, so they made, you know, jams and honey and anything that could, was local. Oh, yeah. That would be I a think fun they take a, Yeah, that was amazing. But I think they do like a vow of silence. There was something about them uh, not really opening up and talking, and, and, and that made it kind of a kind of a, a cool and eerie place. Ah. So yeah, they have uh, been there for how long? Then is it an ancient order there? No, um, actually, the father there, no, right, he started it. Um, oh, oh, wow, right. rather new. Oh, that's unusual. The Trappist in Lebanon, obviously, not Trappist worldwide. Right. But right. he came back, he was living in uh, Israel, and he had moved back. You know, he, he speaks about this in the film, you know, about how he was, um, <clears throat> he felt a calling to come back right in the middle of the Civil War to start a monastery in Lebanon. So they thought he was nuts, basically, you know. <laughs> so, um, but he's still there, still doing well. So, well, that's good for him. I, you know, that is. That's, I'm glad it worked out for him. Did you? Uh, did you run across any major problems in making of this movie, or any anything that you got to a point where you said, "Well, let's just back off and go another direction." Um, I I would say the one most hairy moment was when we were um, invited to go to the Baalbek uh, Jazz Festival and um, a famous Lebanese jazz musician by the name of Ibrahim Malouf was playing, uh, who's the son of another famous uh, jazz musician. Uh, In fact, this music is kind of inspired um, the music that you hear in the film which oh. was uh, originally composed by Kareem Dewaiti, another Lebanese. Um, so, um, and that, yeah, that music came, the, the father of Ibrahim Malouf uh, is what Michael was playing up in his, uh, in his house in the mountains. So it kind of all stemmed from there, oh. which is uh, kind of full circle right now talking about it. But so we were there, we were fil- filming Ibrahim and uh, it was a beautiful night in Baalbek, uh, fully crowded. Lots of wine was being drunk at the Temple of Bakus, which you saw in the film. And uh, about halfway through, the Lebanese army got in a complete, full-on gun battle um, with ISIS uh, 20 kilometers wow. away. Yeah. Cool. And um, the music kept playing, but the bullets kept flying. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so we, we uh, were. Yeah. On I didn't know. We were... Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Mark. Oh no, no, no. I sorry to interrupt, but I didn't know if we were gonna. Um, it was just like I didn't know. It's the Temple of Baalbek is this site, like you know, um, 
uh, Isis in Palmyra that, you know, Palmyra is this beautiful architectural site that they blew up. They uh, yes, I, it. I know that's, that's so sad. Yeah. And then, so in my mind, I'm thinking like, is Baalbek the next uh, Palmyra? Oh, go ahead, Mark. Yeah. yeah well, and so it's a very um, Hezbollah run area. I think, uh, Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, but that that is basically the capital of Hezbollah is is where Baalbek is. Um, it's it's, that, it's, it's Hezbollah's main stronghold in the Bekaa Valley, but uh, but their main uh, but their main uh, areas of operations are in South Beirut and the south of the country. But uh, oh, yeah. was in the area. ISIS was in the area. I mean, you've got to understand. Hezbollah is a Shiite organization. ISIS is a Sunni organization. We're not going to get too too bogged down in the details, but they were camped in the mountains between Syria and uh, Syria and Lebanon because ISIS was was fighting in the Syrian civil war. Um, but they were they were camped out in the mountains, the anti-Lebanon range, and the threat was that they would be pushed into Lebanon by the Syrian civil war. So that was how the Lebanese army, uh, why the Lebanese army was engaging them in the northern, northern parts of the Bekar Valley. Ah, okay. So, ah, okay. Well, <laughs> I didn't know starting that. to get a, yeah, I get a picture. A I get the picture. Now. Taste yeah. of what Lebanon is and all this little interweb, huh? <laughs> Yeah, everything's there. Well, I'm yeah, I, I am familiar with the area over there and all that. Not that I've ever been there, but I just I pride myself in being knowledgeable of some things that are going on around the world and that that part of the world I I try to you know keep myself up on it. And but that does bring a little bit more clarity to my knowledge. So I appreciate that. Uh, the uh, uh, the movie itself, how long? Did it take to film? I mean, from from the time that you started your first, you know, action to the time that you gave your final cut. Um, it took. We were filming in 2017, and that ended um, in around uh, December. So, and we were editing and filming at the same time. Then we came back, and like I mentioned, we were. Uh, we felt we were well on our way, but um, after the holiday break, we both uh, got jobs again and uh, went back to work filling our coffers. And um, I think we took about something like three months off, settled thinking about the edit, and then so that took us to 2018. And then we picked it up again for about uh, so, yeah, about six months, often on editing. Uh, still with our editor, uh, Mala Kosni, who is also Lebanese. And then then it kind of fell off again. We all we both got busy. Um, we thought the film wasn't headed story-wise in the right way. It was a little bit – what we were doing at the time was we thought it would be interesting to um, not go in a linear fashion but be completely mm. nonlinear, um, which was actually confusing. And yes, so we spent a lot of time in that direction. Yeah. And then, so then we, we backed off that and then um, they went, went back to work again. Um, and then um, 
then went into some editorial phases with a new editor named Matt Hartman. He came on board. We thought we would do something very fast to restructure the film. Um, and like anything in filmmaking and editorial, nothing is as fast as you think it's ever going to be. And maybe that's a life <laughs> lesson. You always think it's going to be fast, but it's not. And it never um, is. Never is. But Matt fell in love with it project. In fact, all of our partners uh, on this, and it's a big, big list of people that have, uh, have helped out. We have Aaron Swarovski with Swarovski, who's done like the most amazing graphic design for all the Marvel films and um, world-class colorist, uh, Fergus um, at the Mill, and, um, and some visual effects artists at Blacksmith, and uh, sound design and mixing at her city. The list goes on and on, but uh, essentially they all started helping out because we were saying we got to get it done. And that's another thing that um, is another important lesson. When you say you're going to finish something, eventually you got to get there to the finish line. So um, we decided we would do that. And then um, this horrible thing happened, right, to the entire world uh, called COVID. Yeah. 19 and uh we all lost our work again this time uh by by a, a virus so we jumped right into uh the documentary and so long story short is we knew the direction we wanted to go in we had the support of a lot of people that weren't working and that allowed us to get this film done um in so 2017 to 2018 uh restructuring and then 2019 with a new editor, um, beginning some of the finishing work, the music, the composition, all that, right up until the end of COVID, not the end of COVID, but kind of the end of the lockdown in, I would say, July. Uh, July. And then in July, we started doing a lot of uh, webinars, which um, we call the webinars, the webinar, and, um, and started using that as a way to promote the film. And now here we are talking with you. It's like the well, it seems awesome to be ever seems to me, I, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the time for editing and uh, adding music and graphics and everything else has taken so much longer than the actual filming of the uh, documentary. Is that correct? It does, especially when you don't have money. Oh, that's, it seems odd to me, considering I've never done a movie. That just seems odd. Michael, this is for you now. Al? Don't worry about Mark and Mark because they're not there. But are you happy with the results of your book? The results of my book or the results of the film? Well, the film is loosely based on the book. So are you happy with yeah, the transition? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I am I am really happy. I am uh, really thrilled by the way in which the which we've, we've taken the, the essence, the DNA of a book that was written uh, 16 years ago now and carried forward the, 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 um, the integrity of that DNA, but giving it a modern spin and t taking it bang right up to date. Um, there is nothing in the film that I, as a Lebanese, um, and, and, you know, I was very aware and I think Mark and Mark um, uh, were aware of this. So I, I, my big fear was that the film would be 
that was that Lebanon would be culturally misrepresented. That was my big fear. Um, or that there would be some kind of cultural faux pas made in the film. Uh, but no, my, um, none of my fears were realized. And, um, you know, it's just a beautiful expression of Lebanon and the Lebanese and this, this tiny little wine industry. And it is tiny. Um, you know, Lebanon makes 10 million bottles of wine a year. Now, that might sound a lot, um, but uh, if I tell you that the global production of wine is 36 billion bottles, Wine, then, then you'll understand that Lebanon's 10 million is, is plankton in the wine yeah. ocean. So this is a really, really big moment for probably one of the smallest wine-producing countries in the world. But we like to think in Lebanon that small is beautiful, that we punch above our weight in terms of the quality of the wines that we that we make. Um, so yeah, in a rather roundabout, long answer, I am, I am, I'm proud of being associated with this film. I'm proud to put my name to this film, and I hope the Lebanese will be proud of this film as well. Very good. That's good to hear. I just, I was, because many times you hear subtle stories of collaboration between books and movies, and it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't mean that, or. Where did that come from? So I'm glad to hear that you're very happy and proud of this. So take a bow, Mark and Mark. Take a bow. Um, the the movie, the the documentary itself, is it over? Are you going to do more? I mean, it, it this doesn't end here, does it? No. Have, um, no go. go ahead, Mark. No. Um, <clears throat> You know, there, Lebanon is just one part of a place in the world where wine and war intersect, you know. And uh, so we are planning a television series, like a one-hour TV series, uh, based on places that make uh, wine and war at the same time, historically Fantastic. and present, presently. Fantastic. I, you know, I mean, the Middle East obviously is, is uh, an emphasis there. But I suppose it can go to many places. You know what what happened to the French vineyards during World War Two and World War One, and you know I mean I suppose you can you know travel all over the world just looking at different things that happen. So that's that's good to hear. This should be very interesting doing that. Um, I'm glad this is this isn't the end. This sounds like a a, a great beginning. Absolutely. Um, you know, I should give a, a shout out to the book that there's a book called Wine and War um, about the Nazis who uh, and their relationship with uh, German, Germany and French uh, occupying. Uh, it's a fascinating history. So um, it's a very fascinating book if your listeners are interested in in, in his wine history, you know, the similar vein as our film. Wine and War, that's the name of it? It's the same name, yeah. No, there's uh, that name has been tossed around quite a bit, it seems like, through, you know. Um, yeah. I worked on a film called Nine Lives, and, uh, you know, there's how many films are called Nine Lives or books or, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, you know it kind of gets, you know, you know how it is. 
confusing <laughs> is the word. Yeah. 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 So, uh, well, I'll have to check that out. I had not heard of that. That seemed like it might be. Well, you, you think about it. I mean, I I watch different documentaries and stuff like that, and you start seeing soldiers and tanks and uh, weaponry running over and through and around vineyards, and you're thinking, oh, that's so sad, and you wonder what the backstory is on that, but you don't hear anything. So this... Uh, this one book might be interesting. I'll have to check that out. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, like as in Lebanon, it's an agri. You know, it, wine is an agricultural industry. It takes up a large area. You know, to to the vineyards, and uh, you know, and the number of people involved, and so it it seems to always end up in a, in a part of history. You know, in Lebanon, the vineyards were like literally. Oftentimes, the vineyard, or the battle zones. I mean, you know. So um, where it's so, located, it, it, it's it's in an, an unfortunate position. It seems to uh, be located uh, because of all the conflicts and everything around it. Yeah, I mean, in uh, 2006, they had uh, such uh, a stressful time um, because the harvest was happening and war was starting to pick up. Um, and then war did happen with uh, Israel and Hezbollah, um, and the all the winemakers just weren't sure if they were going to be able to harvest. You know, and that's a year's worth of work um, down the drain if they can't get it. But I mean, that's a story that I think we cover a few different times uh, on a few different vintages in the film. But the 2006 was uh, was pretty hairy because it was uh, with modern it was modern warfare. So. I mean, just picture yourself as a Lebanese getting into your car on your way to get gas, and you're looking up, and you see six or seven drones flying right over you. Well, you had that one section of the film there where they were bringing in grapes, and they had drones flying over them. And, you know, it just – it, it, it would be so scary. It just – you can't imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, 2006 was uh, – right? Yeah, Michael, you should be, you should tell us tell us about two thousand six, Michael. Yeah, sorry, I lost you for a second there. My my, my mobile signal went. Um, yeah, I saw you're back with us though. We can hear you. Yeah, two thousand six was a um, was a very intense month long war between Israel and Hezbollah, and it was it it broke out about a month before the first white grapes were going to be picked. Um, and the Lebanese winemakers were understandably very nervous. Were they going to be able to harvest that year? Um, and a lot of wine makers, you know, made their own, uh, made their own dispositions about whether they were going to stay, stay in their winery, were they going to decamp to the decamp to Beirut for the duration of the war and hope that the fighting will be over before you know, before the Chardonnay was was ready to be picked, one one particular producer who we talked to in the film, uh, who who is a, a very close friend of mine, he decided to stay. His name's Ramsey Wilson of the Messiah Winery. He decided to stay with his grapes. Um, he wasn't going to leave because he'd been forced out of his his family property in 1975 as an eight-year-old child by war. And he said, right, this time there's going to be a war. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. 
I'm going to stay. And for one month, he stayed at the winery uh, with his vines. You know, imagine his, his vines were his children in a way. And um, there was really heavy aerial bombardment um, around the vineyard for the duration of the war. And uh, uh, there were arms dumps and arms caches, Hezbollah arms caches, in the area just next to his vines. And wow. so they, were being, they were being taken out by, by Israeli drones and jets, but the shrapnel that was the, that was the, the kind of fallout of these attacks were, were flying off into the vineyard, and literally this hot metal was fizzing around his vines. And uh, he at one point had to run into the vineyard to escape when he thought that his, his little cottage on the estate was going to get hit. And he, he lay in a trench for, for several hours while this aerial bombardment was going on with, with hot metal flying around. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a really amazing... I mean, I, I think I wouldn't have done it, but he was stubborn and, and he did it. But it was, uh, it was the personification... His behavior was the personification of the Lebanese uh, farmer, businessman, trader, who for thousands of years has had to put up with this stuff, um, and he didn't. He didn't fold. He didn't. He didn't fold. He he hung on in there, and then when the ceasefire happened, just as funnily enough, all the white grapes in the Bekar were reaching maturity, ready to be picked. He dusted himself down, and 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 carried on. And that's one of the great war stories uh, that you that you see in the film. And it's just one of many, many acts of stubbornness, bravery from, 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 from this extraordinary group of people who will not let a war or conflict get in the way of doing what they do. Well, he became a chef, too, during this time, which is like all of us during COVID. I think we all became a little bit of a, of a chef. But that was one of the thing, and now he's the chef of his restaurant, and there's no better bread than the bread of Ramsey. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Um, the uh, Michael, what, my next question for you, and, and that, that's a great story. I remember that from the film. It's fascinating. My next question, more books, more more on Lebanon or other areas around there, or what is the future plans for your writing career? Well, I, I think there's a lot, you know, the more you, you hang out in the Middle East, the more you study, especially the culture of the vine and wine and alcohol, which is quite ironic given the reputation of the Middle East for being teetotal, um, I think I'd like to look at Georgia a lot more because that's where wine came from and it's where, it's where the Lebanese inherited their wine culture. Um, I'd like to look at the relationship between Lebanon and Georgia or, the, or Lebanon and the Caucasus or that, just that entire area from the Caucasus down to the eastern Mediterranean and, and look, at the, look at the wine trail, if you want, the wine trail from from Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia, down to the down to the the coast of the eastern Mediterranean, from whence 
wine was shipped out to the rest of the world. Um, you know, I think I think there's a lot more there's a lot more to write about, a lot more to tell. It's a very rich region, um, and uh, I think wine is now evolving. Consumers are becoming so much more aware of wine that I don't think it's as much of a curiosity wine from that part of the world as it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I think people are understanding that this is, a, that this is the ground zero of wine. This is where it all began. It didn't begin in France, didn't begin in Spain, didn't begin in Napa Valley, if you don't mind me saying so. It didn't begin, you know, this is, this is the home of wine, and I think there's a lot more material to be mined there. Oh, without question there is. That, that's, that would be fascinating for you to cover that. It's just uh, there's so many stories that can be told from that area since it is the ground zero, if you will, of wine and winemaking and, you know, the grapes and how they created themselves into different ones that they are. That would be more than fascinating. I would love to see that myself. And that would give Mark and Mark another another documentary to work on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. just another yeah, another excuse to go back to stay in a wonderful area that we love so much. So. There you go. That would get you back over there. Uh, uh, Mike, my, my Mike, uh, any comments to uh, Mark, Mark, or Michael that you would like to make or any questions for him? Yeah, I've, I've been uh, taking a lot of notes and, and uh, looking up a few things. And, and uh, for Michael, um, I I I read somewhere I think I read somewhere that you were a journalist already and you were in Beirut and uh then you've been writing about uh, Lebanese wines I, I guess back to 2004 maybe but uh I'm I'm curious what I know there's a lot of historical significance there but what drew you to the area at, at, I mean if you started there as a journalist what drew you there was it an assignment and you just got hooked or or what was it well, Mike, I'm Lebanese by birth. Um, I just I, I just happened to be born in England to to Lebanese parents. So I, um, I I grew up in England because the Lebanese Civil War broke out, and I kind of did my whole ed- education there. But I went back in '91 um, and began a career as a journalist, um, and then you know I, I I kind of as I said at the beginning of the program I was I became the editor of a business magazine in 2001 I can't remember and and it was my first as as a new editor I want to set an example so I said right well I'm going to write the cover story this month um, and I wrote about the Lebanese wine industry and that's how my relationship with the Lebanese wine industry began um, but in answer to your question, I just went home. I went home in 91. I went home oh. to Lebanon. It was a country I needed to explore. I, ne- I needed to understand um, because I'd been born in England. And up until that point, I was 26 years old. I was, I was, I was, I was this little Englishman, with this uptight little English guy. And I didn't really understand Lebanon. I mean, I'd been there, been there as a child before the civil war but i i needed to i need to inject a bit of balance into my character um and i'm so glad i went back because i got that lebanese side of me 
Um, I learned how to speak Arabic. Uh, I improved my French. I learned how to eat properly. Um, <laughs> I learned how to eat healthily. Um, and I think, I think I'm a better person for having gone back. And it also afforded me, a, you know, a lot of professional opportunities that, that, that I wouldn't have had. So I'm, I'm very grateful to Lebanon uh, as a country, not just because it's my, because it's my nationality, but, uh, Lebanon's been good to me. Uh, it gave me my wife, um, who in turn, you know, we, we had, we've got two great kids. And uh, no, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Lebanese. I love Lebanon. I'm living in England now. But, you know, if things were better in Lebanon, I'd go back in a flash because it really is a beautiful country. Hmm. All right. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, that was it. I was just, uh, I was curious and I'm, I've been uh, learning so much from from tonight's show. I mean, I'm yeah, it's, it's getting all kinds of great. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Mark and Mark, where are you guys from originally? I mean, we just discovered Michael's from, you know, a little bit of his background. You both uh, New Yorkers, or wh- what is your heritage? A little bit of a mixed, uh, mixed bag for me. I was uh, um, born in Sweden. Um, oh, and uh, and. Uh, from a Swedish mother and an American father, which, by the way, Mark Ryan also has the same uh, half-bred DNA. Um, and from there, I moved uh, around Mexico. Um, my parents were in the hotel business, so we traveled all over uh, the globe until we came to the United States when I was four. And then um, grew up, went to film school. Uh, uh, I had known Mark Ryan before that because both of our parents were Swedish, or our moms. And there's a kind of a Swedish mafia in California. So they all know each other. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, long story short, uh, we went to film school. We went out, uh, made a film. Mark stayed in California. I went to New York. And then um, <clears throat> New York to San Francisco. And now uh, here in Aspen, Colorado. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so all over the country there. Uh, so you've yeah, so funny you, enough, sorry. Go on. Funnily enough, ironically, Mark is half Swedish. Mark Ryan's half Swedish. I have a gra- I have a Swedish grandmother, so I'm oh. a quarter Swedish. Ah. And that's that's a, that's a, that's a, a nice little nice little unifying unifying thing. I think. There, that is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is unusual. That is so odd. Yes, um, the uh, uh, well, that, I was going to say something that, that made me forget wh- where I was going. That's okay, though. I mean, that's not probably not important. Um, oh, I know. Uh, so, Mark and Mark, you were both filmmakers before uh, Wine and War. Yes. Yep. Uh, yeah. No. Um, <clears throat> Myself, uh, yeah, no, I was um, worked at MTV for a few years mm. uh, in re- reality TV. Um, I've, you know, done various, then, then sort of things moved online, sort of commercial-wise for me. And, um, you know, th- things just go here and there. So, you know, I've, I've, I've filmed uh, other people's uh you know, uh, documentaries, I've worked direct my own documentaries, short and long, and, you know, um, sort of a combination of various things. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. So this is this isn't your first rodeo, as they say. You've done this things like this before. It's not, you know, you yeah. You can tell. Yeah. Well, like the yeah the James Beard things. You know, the two films, like I mentioned before, that you know I made two two short films that were uh, won a, a James Beard Award for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one was called The Scent of Black, which was uh, about. I mean, these are you can actually um, check them out on YouTube for free. You know, so. Uh, the Scent of Black is about the wine of Cahors, France, which is where uh, truffles, black truffles, are also native. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, so it makes it because the two kind of work together, this and that. So it, the film kind of is is a lyrical look, you know, 15 minute look at at the two together. Um, and then the other film was called The Stewards of the Land, which is about um, the Russian River Valley in Sonoma, oh. which, which uh, and, and sort of the pioneers of, of Pinot Noir um, in in that area, William oh, Young and different things. So, so I have a little bit myself um, in wine itself. You know, um, that's my background and things like that. Well, well, just, you know, quite. Quite diversified on all three of you, on you know, on your backgrounds and all that to to come to this point here. I um, so when you say it's released, it's available now. Can well, someone out there listening, I want to watch this movie. How do they go about it? What what is the what is the steps if they want to see it? There's two options. We have um, wineandwar.com. That's the primary where you will just go to the website and. On the home page, you'll see the Watch Now button, which takes you to AltaVod. Uh, AltaVod is a really exciting platform. What's cool about AltaVod is that uh, as an independent filmmaker, there are not so many platforms out there where you can host um, that has DRM, which is called Digital Rights Management, which means if you've ever been to Netflix or iTunes or Apple, I mean uh, Amazon, you can't screen grab or or screen record off these um, places. So piracy is maintained, and that's what they call DRM. So this this platform called AltaVod, which was developed by the Coppola family, and we should all know who the Coppolas are, uh, famous wine wine makers and famous filmmakers. But um, So that's where we're hosting uh, Wine and War, and that's where you go to watch it. And, again, all proceeds – for the film, go to Capo, um, a charity that's giving insurance to uh, children that don't have it and rebuilding the hospital there that where they're based out of. And uh, the other way is from the Lamley Theater chain. Um, we just uh, partnered up with them, and they have a, a really cool offering, um, which is proprietary to them, which is um, similar to so many people in COVID. They came up with an alternative to watching films. So they have what they call virtual cinema. And on Lamley Theater at Lamley.com, if you go to Lamley.com, you'll see the the Wine and War, where uh, you'll have a a virtual cinema experience, which is super cool. Lamley is spelled? Uh, L-A-E-M-M-L-E.com. L-A-E-M-M-L-E. Okay. I'm glad I asked how to spell that. I don't think anybody would have done that. 
Okay. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. And it's uh, owned by Greg Lamley um, and his son, Gabe. And uh, okay. it's a theater chain uh, based in Southern California. Um, small art house, but I think they got like something like seven or eight theaters uh, around Southern California. But it's been a staple in um, the L.A. area for 30 years plus. Mm. So um, they're great. And uh, it'll be really cool to, to see how the virtual cinema world takes place. Um, and then uh, in wineandwar.com with, uh, via Altavod platform. And this is available in more than just English, you say? It's available in other languages uh, with subtitles? Correct. Uh, the film like, actually just went live during this broadcast, um, and it's available in French, Portuguese, and um, what am I missing? French, Portuguese, English. Obviously, Arabic and and Spanish. No, Latin America. Arab, Ar- Arabic. We were thinking about doing that, but um, to Michael's point, you either drink wine or you don't. And if you do, you speak English. <laughs> okay. Okay. Or French. Or French. Or, or French. Or French. Or French. Yeah. Um, Michael, any comments before uh, we say goodnight to you? Um. No, I think this has been a really comprehensive look at the film. I would just urge people who are listening to this and thinking, yeah, well, I'm not really into wine, so I, I, I might give this film a miss. I'd say that's a big mistake because the film it may be called Wine and War, but it's a, it's a film about people, and it's a film about survival, and it's a film about resilience, and it's a film about getting things done in the face of adversity. And all... And it's all seen through the lens of wine. But I think that the trick that we've done with this film um, and what Mark and Mark have done so well is to, is to make it a film that is about wine, but it's also about humanity and it's about struggle and it's about survival. Yeah, so, very well put. So give it a go. Give it yeah, a go. very good. Mark Johnson, any uh, last comments? Um. Thank you for having me on the, the show and, and uh, my partners, Mark and Michael. Um, I hope uh, those out there take away um, something that is now global with uh, the coronavirus pandemic. I think the film will share a, a sense of, of unity that um, if you deal with a negative situation with a positive head, you'll come through it. And I think the Lebanese uh, have shown that with um, impeccable skills um, through all these years and, and generations. So um, I think this is the first time the, the world got to get a sense of what it is um, to not be in control. And uh, I think the film provides a good example of, of that. Very good, very good. And Mike Ryan, any uh, Mark Ryan, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, uh, I would just double down on what the two of them have said already is that, uh, you know, the Lebanese are these, um, they've been through so many conflicts and invasions over the years that they are just these masters of of conflict resolution and conflict management, um, you know, especially right now for them. But um, this is a broader message, you know, it's, you know, it's the, when life gives you grapes, make wine. Make wine. There Attitude. you go. 
and, and then and then sell it as far away abroad in the world as you can, you know, kind of attitude, which is what the Lebanese have done and which, um, you know, like like Mark Johnson said about, you know, this is the first time a lot of the Western world has felt out of control and Lebanon is just this country where they are sort of one step in the Western world and or two thirds in the Western world. And, you know, there's a little bit still of chaos, but uh, they, they manage and do it in a beautiful way. And, you know, if, if we could all conduct our lives with grace under pressure, that would be, you know, a thing that we should all aspire to. You're absolutely right. Well, Guys, Michael, I look forward to your next book from uh, Georgia and that area there. That sounds like it could be very, very interesting. And Mark and Mark, there's your next documentary. That could be very, very fun. And, uh, guys, it was a great documentary. Anyone out there who is unsure, like they just pointed out, it it gives you a, a sense of a purpose as you watch and see the resiliency of the people of Lebanon. And it also, the first half hour of it gives you a nice history of the areas and stuff too. So it is well worth the effort, the time and the money that you spend, and it all goes to a good cause. So remember that. And uh, Michael, Mark, Mark, thank you so much for taking time out tonight to join us. It was extremely interesting and educational. And really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're quite Bye-bye. welcome. Thank you. We'll look forward to uh, talking to you after the next documentary comes out from Michael's new book. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Thanks night. a lot. Thank Good night now. Good night. Good night. <laughs> okay. And you notice that I'm on my phone. Yes. Well, I saw you drop. We were all sitting there going, they stopped talking, and I heard silence. And I go, ah, let me check. Yeah. And I go, hey, you're there. And didn't hear anything. And I go, oh, this again? Um, yeah. Anybody, still, uh, anybody listening, uh, just go to wineandwar.com. There's more information there and also a button to uh, watch here. And there's also a learn more button uh, towards the middle of the page about uh, Cap O. Um, oh. that the uh, charity that uh, provides uh, aid to children without insurance in Lebanon. There's, and it takes you to their page, and you can learn more. And also donate from the page as well. So uh, there's uh, a, lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of good there. So uh, I, I'm really kind of anxious myself to watch this. <laughs> it's like, it, it, okay. it, it was good. It was, it was a, a good documentary. It was very interesting. It had a lot of interesting stuff on it and all that. Uh, and uh, so – yeah, it was. It's well worth it. I do, I do recommend it for anyone out there. And if you're wine people, it's an interesting approach to wine and what they did. And if you're not wine people, it's just a nice little, nice little historical context thing, and you know what people go through to fulfill their passion. So yeah, uh, it's, it, it was, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it is. So I really mm-hmm. appreciate. Mike and uh, Mark and Mark being on tonight. It was uh, uh, very interesting. I, I enjoyed that. Looking down, I was looking at the uh, the timer down or the time that it is in, uh, I believe he's in London now, and I, I can't remember if they're 
five hours, four hours. It's like uh, early in the morning there. It's like after midnight there. So it's oh. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. And wow. he called back. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, when he when he dropped or had issues, and then I was like, yeah, it is almost. You know, it's um, it's midnight there. You know, and then he, then he calls back. I was like, oh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I sat there and I saw he was gone. I'm going, uh oh, and then click, and he was yeah. back on it, and I said, oh, all right. Yeah. yeah. That was great. That was great. Yeah, that's good guess. Good guess. And yeah. enjoy it. That's an, three more guests we can add to our really good guest list, along with all the others we've had over the years. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that um, was fun. Oh, I have to take out my. Uh, 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 on my scroll thing, we were talking about storms before the show, mm-hmm. and I heard thunder. I heard thunder, and I thought it was on the TV in the other room. You know, maybe like because you know I got the surround sound <laughs> thing going, and I kept trying to undo the headphones, and but it's never at the right time. And so I pulled up the radar, and I go, "Oh my gosh, we're getting a thunderstorm!" That's funny. And it was just one stupid little shower, you know. It was, you know, it had the red and everything in there. And I thought we were just saying how it was that we didn't get any, we haven't had any rain or anything during the show because it's yeah, it's and then like, all of a sudden it's you know? <laughs> yeah, so it well, started, and I thought, what in the world am I listening to? <laughs> and it's same thing with with the, my headphones cutting out. I said, oh, you know, we haven't had that problem long, but. And then they cut out. Oh, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Speaking of you headphones, can, can I ordered almost... a new new set, so oh. I should be getting a new set to see if if it is the headphones oh, or if it's if it's the sight. So I'm not sure. So. Yeah. Well, well I you know you're you're using the direct connect thing. I I think that's a sight problem. I don't I don't see how that can be. You know, if, if your headset's gonna well, but you're still connected though. So I don't know. Yeah, I, um, I'm still connected. It's not it's not disconnected. And when it happens, though, it gives that beep, boop, boop, you know, like when you're. Yeah. Uh, like a game the, show? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. But, and it did that, and I go, oh, no, I'm disconnected. And I knew it immediately because it, you know, gave me that sound. Yeah. <laughs> not quite, but almost. Yeah. It let me do it right away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They could come up with something like that, at least, you know, at least we recognize it. Um, yeah, you, wow. you know. So, but yeah. good good show tonight, good interview. Um, yeah. If you're listening live to us, thanks for, for staying with us. And if you're listening to this on archive, check out the the documentary, the movie. It's it's well worth the, yeah. uh, uh, the effort. So. Yep, wineandwar.com. Go there and. Uh, really, really nicely done, and, and a lot of a uh, lot of good information on there. So, check it and out. It's spelled out to wine and war, so it's spell it out. Yeah. yeah, spell it out. All one word, but spell it out. dot com. Um, we will be back uh, next week, which is October. Which, yeah, October fifteenth, and we do have another guest. We have another um, guest. We, a, a previous Jim, guest. Yes, a previous going to visit again. And yeah. certified educator and author. Mm-hmm. And this time, Jim Laughlin has written a couple of online books, if you will, although they're not really long. They're just pamphlet-like things about tasting white wine, tasting red wine. Fun, interesting, <laughs> easy read, and very educational. So I think Good. he's going to tell us about those and 
if you have any questions about him or anything, then by all means, you know, call in, and uh, I'm sure he'll be happy to answer them all that. So you can get yourself prepared for next week. If you normally listen on archive and you want to ask questions, be sure to tune in live next week. Yep. Yeah, that's the best way. Or I, I guess you could email ahead of time or something and yeah. say, hey, could you uh, – but uh, we like it if you listen to us at the time. Um, but and he is a certified wine educator, so he uh, he is knowledgeable. Uh, he's also an author, uh, also an author, uh, and that'll be October fifteenth. Jim Lochran on the program next uh, on October fifteenth, next Thursday, seven p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, uh, seven p.m. Eastern time, right here on Blog Talk Radio, Facebook, uh, and Twitch. So uh, and Mob Crush, I, th- I guess live there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm. Yeah. Thank you all very much. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in tonight, and we'll see you yeah. next week. And be safe. And uh, I guess there's nothing happening this week that nobody ever needs to prepare for anything, is there? Let's see. Yes, Indigenous People Day is Monday. Wow. Okay. So there's Monday. Something you can drink to. Indigenous People Day is Monday the twelfth. Uh, well, so there you go. We will uh, again. We thank our guests, Mark, Mark, and Mike, Michael, for for their time and joining us. And uh, we'll see you next week. All right, y'all have a good week, and thank thank you again. Bye. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.